listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So, Jeff, the last time we met, we talked about all the stupid shenanigans <laughs> that marketers do in professional services firms. And this time, we're going to invert that. We're going to go to the bizarro world, Jeff's bizarro world, I'm going to call it. Uh, and we're going to look at all the smart Shinola marketers should be doing. So I guess we're going to do the inverse of this. So full disclosure for everyone listening, you know, Jeff has has two separate infographics that govern these two topics and, and their reference points for this. I would actually recommend going and downloading both of them right now as you listen to this podcast, because it helps you really kind of, you know, understand the, the nuances in these things. So let's start with how did this list, this particular list, the smart list, how did this come to be? Like, what was your process for developing it, I guess, would be my my first kind of curiosity question. I guess I developed the smart one in the same post that I did with the stupid one. I didn't think it was fair to just criticize and condemn, you know, kind of traditional professional services marketing tactics without providing an alternative. And that original post was not geared to marketers. It was geared to practice leaders and managing partners to have them ask marketing to take their game up and to get them thinking differently about marketing. It wasn't even originally geared towards marketers, but I shared the post, I think it was at an association of accounting marketing luncheon. Oh, and and when I used the title, people just, I mean, it was just this uproarious laughter and people were like, how do I get that? Where do I get that? Where can I see that? And that's when I said, I have to turn these into infographics because people wanted to post, you know, print them out and put them up in their cubicles and their offices. (laughs) So it kind of evolved organically out of a post to practice leaders to help marketers take their game up another level. When you had the list of smart stuff, when that emerged, how did that feel in developing it for you? Was it like, hey, I have a thousand things and I want to try to pare them down to to 29 because there's 29 in this list? Or was it just a a rapid fire brainstorm? Like here's, you know, I'm just going to brainstorm a bunch of stuff that should be happening and is not. And you ended up with 29. I'm I'm just curious if there was a, a rationale that led you to the outcome you have, which is a list of 29 smart things grouped into three separate categories of strategy, ROI, and reputation. Probably a combination of both those things that you said. First, it was about, all right, if you're going to stop doing this stupid thing, do this instead. So mm-hmm. it was the opposite side of the same coin of the stupid list. That's the way it kind of started. And then it just kept kind of evolving out of, all right, if somebody wanted to move from the productivity school, which we've talked about in many podcasts and blog posts, to the growth school, what would be some of the things on a marketer or firm's to-do list to start increasing the strategic impact of marketing? And I just started building it out in those terms. We also do a marketing assessment, a, a growth readiness assessment, if you will, that looks at marketing and growth foundational items within firms 
And this also built on some of those elements that we see are the greatest weaknesses in firms and would be easy steps people could start taking to address some of those weak points that we see time and time again in our marketing assessments. I have to say, since we started talking, it almost is kind of a manifesto for me too, even though I have the prudent manifesto and the messy manifesto on my website. I think this one kind of folds into another Jeff manifesto. I think I have too many manifestos. I was going to say, you need a manifesto (laughs) for your manifestos. I declare I will have less manifestos. (laughs) I want to lead into something that you said, which is that you said that when you do assessments along these dimensions, that there are some typical points of weakness. So maybe a good place to start when you look at this list of 29 where do you actually see the typical points of weaknesses in firms? You know, what are some of the things on this list that either they just don't do and they really need to be doing it or they really struggle to do for some reason or another? Hmm. That's a great question. We probably should do a podcast on assessments and weaknesses because I know Rattleback does something similar as, as well. Yeah, we do. And you're right. That would be a great podcast. Just sort of the typical mistakes. We Mistakes is the wrong word. Typical weaknesses firms have. Yeah, I guess when I look at this list as compared to one of our assessments, you have strategic issues and you have tactical issues. But above both of those, I think, are the cultural issues. And the cultural issues, the BS of PS, if you will, you know, is the umbrella that overarches this because it sets the tone. It's the lens through which um, leadership looks not only at marketing and business development and client service delivery, but, you know, just the, the firm and its people as as a whole. And I've written quite a bit about yeah, culture. But I on this list, looking at those things that begin to challenge the status quo of a culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first one on the list, and it's already checked in the infographic, because I think the mere action of going out and downloading a list and posting it in your office or cubicle warrants checking off this to-do, and that's to take some new risk, fail, and learn something new. Yeah. And just start putting yourself out there more, because doing that sets a tone and it demonstrates challenging the culture. And almost every one of these, in some respects, challenges conventional wisdom in most professional services. You might argue, to what degree do you push on some of these? But then that again comes back to your culture, your leadership style, and your starting point. Well, so I'm going to jump to one because I like to your point on culture. You have one under ROI. I'm not sure it really belongs in ROI, but it says, tell more practice leaders no when asked to do items on the stupid shenanigans list. (laughs) And I guess my question would be, what happens when a marketer has never done that before and they do that? What what is the response they're going going to get from the practice leader when they say, no, I don't think that's a good idea and I'm not going to do that? if they've never behaved that way prior? I think the most obvious one is going to be dumbfounded. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What? What did you just say? And depending on the partner, it might be anger. Yeah. Or it might be, well, tell me why. But marketers, when they say no, should never just say 
no like a recalcitrant child. They should say, no, we're not going to do that thing on the stupid Shinola list. There's a better way. And here's how I recommend we do it. And here's the data to substantiate it. How about if we do this, this way, and this is how we'll measure the effectiveness of it. That's just a simple way to kind of wade into those waters of of saying no. And some partners are just going to say, nope, just do it. And, and you're not yeah. going to change their mind. But I think the majority of partners that I have dealt with are very intelligent, rational people. And there's a mantra that Warren Bennis, I've turned it into a mantra. He just had a quote in a book. And that's intelligent people prefer to agree rather than be told. So having a rational conversation with data, you can have those conversations and they're normally healthy, but a lot of marketers don't want to wade into that because it's just not culturally appropriate to challenge, you know, a partner request or thinking in most firms. Yeah, we have a client right now. The conversation just struck me as odd because I have a hunch that this happens in firms left and right all the time. And we were talking about working with subject matter experts on thought leadership development and developing case stories and a number of other topics. And the comment was along the lines of, you know, these people are really busy and getting their time is really difficult. And we have to be very mindful of, of, of not using their time you know, too much. And I didn't like the comment culturally because I'm like, well, your time's valuable too. My time's valuable too. Partner in the corner is no more valuable or critical a resource than you or me or anybody on this team. And we culturally need to have a relationship with the subject matter experts in the firm as the marketers and the agency partners that is one of mutual respect that everyone values everyone's time. And I find it so interesting how frequently marketers let them be themselves essentially be treated that way, where they're almost like a, a second class citizen inside the firm. And I don't think I just don't think that's healthy at all for anyone involved. So anyway, that's a real random sidebar. And that again is cultural and it's the productivity mindset. Marketing exists to keep utilization high. And if you're going to say no, one of the arguments that a marketer could make is that will consume too many resources, yours and mine. If we take a step back and we did it this way instead, it may only cost you, Mr. Consultant, you know, five hours of time instead of 15 hours of time. Mm. But you've got to build that argument and understanding and process that enables that. And I mean, what partner isn't going to slow down to go fast? I think most will if you can demonstrate that your way is better. Yeah. Let's change course for one second. So you group this into three categories and I shared them real briefly. Why these particular three categories, strategy, ROI, and reputation? How did you pick that those are the three categories that you wanted to group these into? And is that important or not? They are important. You know, we are a strategy consulting firm and my career as a CMO has always been at the strategic level of the business. So strategy is is really important. And most marketers are not operating at that level. So it makes sense that more of the things to do are going to be strategy related because they're not already doing them. And strategy sets up the effectiveness and efficiency downstream. So strategy dictates everything that comes after. The second section 
ROI really is about marketing effectiveness. And it's a growth school mindset because growth school looks at strategic impact. And I probably could have labeled this strategic impact or just impact instead of ROI, but it's about what's the firm's return on the investment of these dollars in the marketing function. And then the last section is, is reputation. And to me, that was probably the outlier and it's the shortest of the sections. But I added that because I think so many firms hone in on brand and brand reputation and brand identity and all things brand because it's easy and that's the most basic understanding for partners of what marketing should be doing in a professional services firm. And in the items in this were really built out of the 20 biggest mistakes firms make in managing their brand that says, don't do those mistakes, do these in, instead. And these were the, the five biggest things I think marketing could do to add strategic impact. Now you failed on the last one on the list. You, you just used the word brand like 12 times in the last 30 seconds. Let's <laughs> go a whole month without uttering the word brand. All right, now, actually, while we're on the reputation piece of this, when you say reputation in this context, what, what, what do you mean by that? Do you mean reputation in the marketplace, reputation within the client base? Is it both? What do you, how are you trying to frame that piece of the list? All of the above. And I, I specifically okay. named that section reputation instead of brand. Because marketers should be thinking in terms of the firm's reputation, its reputation for character, virtue, integrity, its reputation for expertise, its reputation for delivering results, its reputation for building relationships with client. Brand has just become such a trite word. Reputation to me just brings it back to people where brand is something outside of, of people, at least on the surface. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's funny. I, I wrote an article a long time ago where I think it was one of our brand strategy models where we kind of mapped out our brand strategy. And one of the, the opening statements of the article was, you know, if you got a room of 30 marketers and used and threw the word brand at them, I can promise you that you will have a big, healthy, vibrant discussion and you can would be unable to walk out of the room with an agreed definition on what a brand is, <laughs> which is why it's such an annoying word. Whereas like reputation, you, you, would get, you would get agreement on what that word means within about five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a fascinating thing. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. While we're in the reputation section, I actually want to dive into one of those because there's one in there where you say increase client loyalty. And my sense is that's a controversial one because my hunch is in a lot of firms, they don't see marketing as having any responsibility or any real even ability to influence client loyalty. So let's dive into that. How should the marketing function affect client loyalty at the firm level? Great question. Clients do not distinguish, in my experience, between business development, marketing, and service delivery. It's all one 
integrated perspective that today we call client experience. And everyone plays a role in that. And while, you know, functional groups have specific jobs that they have to do, you know, to steal a line from Bill Belichick, do your job. They what operate. has that guy ever done, though? Huh? So what has that guy ever done, though? Yeah. <laughs> um, they operate as a team and they need to be unified around, you know, one specific goal that transcends everything that each of them is doing. And that, as Drucker says, is to get and keep a client. And you do that by increasing client loyalty. And what impacts client loyalty? This is going to differ by client. It's going to differ by firm. It's going to differ by industry. But it really is about doing what you said you were going to do better than anyone else. And everybody plays a role in that. I mean, marketing could run, you know, the client loyalty process, the survey process. They could run, you know, the technology that undergirds it. They could be you know, the voice of the client that keeps all the other groups, you know, above board and focused on that. But if you don't have client loyalty and you have defections, marketing has an almost impossible job in growing the firm because they have to climb out of a a hole in order just to start adding new clients to the firm. Because the clients that aren't loyal, are either indifferent or they're out there saying negative things about the firm that is just creating such a headwind for marketing to overcome. So without client loyalty, you're just burning money in marketing. And once you have client loyalty, you create a flywheel of referrals and happy customers. You know, So it all goes together in my mind. Well, yeah, it's interesting in that, you know, this kind of slides up to one of the other topics on your list in a way, at least in my mind. I had a I had a faculty member in business school that always would say, you know, she, she would always say, you know, if I have only $5 to spend on marketing, I would spend it internally because she always felt you, you needed to start inside the business, inside, in this case, inside the firm to firm up really client experience and client loyalty to make sure that you're doing the best you possibly can to deliver on client expectations. and you know, so actually, I guess I'm going to kind of pull us up the list to something that's under strategy because I think that it's germane to this particular topic of client loyalty is demonstrate the strategic difference between corporate communications and marketing. Let's just talk about that for a minute. You, you know, in your mind, you know, what is the difference between those two disciplines so that, you know, someone that on the line is thinking, I don't know what the difference is between those two things and why that matters. What what, what what do you want to articulate about the critical pieces of those things? The main difference between corporate communications and marketing, in my mind, is that corporate communication informs stakeholders on corporate initiatives. It manages executive and board risks and exists to kind of spin any story about the firm to a positive. Marketing, on the other hand, is tasked with driving profitable growth, of representing the voice of the client, uncovering market needs, developing solutions to meet them, generating demand, generating leads, managing client loyalty. To me, that's the the bailiwick of marketing. Where the two cross over is the area that we talked about earlier, 
And that's managing the firm's reputation. Corporate communication manages the risk associated with the negative events that fall outside of normal client delivery, you know, litigation, acquisitions, partner behavior. Marketing manages the reputational risks created by a gap, if you will, between the brand's promise and the firm's ability to deliver on that promise. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things about the last part of what you said to me is that I always feel like a great marketing function, and this kind of alludes back to your client loyalty piece, should be unlocking compelling new ground for the firm to explore in the future. So it's, it's almost like it's casting a future vision of the types of big topics and, and big solutions to those topics that the firm should own. And then the firm needs to, to close and deliver on those promises, you know? So I don't know if I added to your thinking or not there, but, but it just, to me, that's the way I've always seen it is that I want marketing to be about a step or two ahead of where each individual practice is in terms of getting the marketplace to think about the most pressing issues and then ensuring that the firm can deliver on those things. Now that you astutely point out that there's, there's a risk associated with that, that the marketing function has the ability to get out in front of the practice a little bit and you know, can the practice deliver on the promise that's been made? Maybe it's around a big topic like business intelligence or analytics, you know, things that the firm is saying should be happening inside the client base, but the practice isn't entirely yet tooled to deliver on. But I think that's healthy, personally. I agree. We're about out of time. Before we wrap up, I want to point out something that I actually thought was noticeably absent from the list. And I, I don't, I'm not saying it's entirely absent, but I'm curious if there's a reason for it. Nowhere under strategy do you necessarily point out the act of positioning the firm, determining where we choose to compete, what markets, what areas of expertise. There are pieces where you'll kind of hint at, well, maybe they should build a business case to kill a, a specific service or product. But there, you know, there's never a, hey, making that that formal definition. Is that a purposeful leave it off, meaning that you don't feel that's the domain of the marketing team? Or is it just that you see some of these items all kind of wrapping together to answer that question, which I, I think you could make the case that that's in there? That's a great observation. I love the word positioning. And, you know, one of the best marketing books I ever read in college was a book called Positioning. And it is, it is something in terms of the use of the term that's not on here, but I believe it's folded in to multiple things in here. So for example, defining your real competitive set alludes to how are you positioning vis-a-vis the people that you know are in your competitive set, i.e. if you're big four, the other big three, or if you're strategy consulting, the other strategy firms, but those competitors nipping at your heels or some other new competitor coming from a different industry. The dissecting the buyer's journey, again, to me, is about understanding your buyer so well and how you position, how you talk about your firm or solution in their, their mind. Developing a cross-practice solution is another one of those that requires us to think through client issues and competitive set in order to take something to market. Intelligently segmenting your markets to improve targeting, again, gets to positioning what messages 
align best with our our strengths. The practice point of view around differentiating your firm from the others, I think also gets to positioning of what's unique about our point of view to to the others. So I think the positioning is kind of folded into these. It probably isn't on the list because it's so big and such a political battle to fight that it would slow down some of the to-dos on this and (laughs) probably overwhelm most people. And they might misconstrue it as rebrand the firm. Yeah, I think you and I are saying the same thing differently. No, I, I 100% agree, which is why I wanted to point it out because I think it's interesting that it's it's noticeably not there. And my hunch is my my hunch was that you were going to answer it the way you did, which is just that when you look at positioning at the macro sense at the highest form, it's almost a debilitating topic for a lot of practice leaders. You know, the idea that we should choose not to compete in certain places makes them extremely uncomfortable and they usually shut down. And it's almost like you've baked positioning into five or six things you could be doing to really, you know, solve the positioning conundrum, lack of focus, which is really one of the number one blocks into growth in our experience by sort of you know, picking at it on the edges and getting to, you know, gradually getting to a better place of positioning. That was the last item on the stupid list. <laughs> what was the last item on the stupid list? To stop asking your marketing team to build, you know, a strategic growth plan or marketing plan without a coherent and realistic business strategy as a foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think having a, a realistic business strategy is a precursor for doing the, the smart stuff on this list. Yeah. And it's, and it's alarming how many firms really, they don't have clarity on which parts of the practice they want to grow or they anticipate have growth opportunity. I say parts of the firm. I mean, and I think it's a real problem for a lot of firms. So we really got to probably give it a wrap. So I really enjoyed kind of diving into these two assets that you built, these two pieces of intellectual property, both the stupid things and the smart things that marketers should or should not be doing. They're really useful tools and they're really helpful, I think, for marketers to think about where they should be spending their time, what types of activities, where should they be putting their energy and how should they be behaving with their partners and and firm leaders. So thanks for going through these with us. I think we'll spend more time on these lists as we go forward because there's so many things inside these lists that we can talk about individually and and really should if we haven't already. So thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jason. All right, see you. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.